Turn with me to the same passage that we read this morning, which is 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And we'll read just the first seven verses of it. And I'll be continuing the message that I was preaching two weeks ago, which is about the heart, okay, and and to keep the heart. And uh, what the heart uh, is, what we are called to do with our hearts, let's put it that way. So this is a sermon about the heart, part two. And we're reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we'll read from verses 1 to 7 again. Read with me. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for the things to be made of gold and the silver for the things of silver and the brass for the things of brass, the iron for the things of iron and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of diverse colours and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. The gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers. And who then is willing to consecrate this service, his service, this day unto the Lord? Then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams and of silver 10,000 talents and of brass 18,000 talents and 100,000 talents of iron. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and we'll see what he has for us today. Father, we thank you once again for this precious time. We could look into your word and we just pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to not only understand it, Lord, but to receive it in our hearts in a way that we might live it fully for you. Father, we pray, Lord, for your grace and for the wisdom that we need in order to secure this information within our own lives Father, and to use it to glorify you. Help us to be your children. Help us to walk faithfully. Lead us in your ways. And I pray that your spirit would have unfettered access to our hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we approach Christmas and people are making preparations for their Christmas lunches together and there's families travelling all around, you know, the country wanting to be together with those uh, with the family and, and loved ones. Um, it brings back a lot of memories for me, uh, especially growing up. Um, memories of childhood um, often seem a lot more vivid. I don't know if they to you, but memories of, as, of when you were a child growing up, it seemed to be a lot more vivid and a lot more exciting. Um, and when, you, when I remember um, Christmas lunches together and times with the family, um, when you remember the, I can just smell the food now, mind you. Okay, I'm getting myself hungry here. Um, 
you remember the food, the stories, the games, the singing, the you know the the the, the people that you hadn't seen for a while all together, and you sat this this big long table, and all this stuff is set up there, and you remember all the lovely conversations and times we had together. Um, they're just very precious things. Um, growing up in an Italian household, we may not have had a ham and turkey on the actual uh, um, table, but we did have lasagna and uh, spaghetti and all that sort of stuff. Um, a huge table, which I remember most vividly growing up, especially was, it was normally be held at my grandmother's place. And I say my grandmother because she was the one who sort of orchestrated everything. And um, there was at least, I think every year, at least a dozen of us, 15, probably more, all around this big table, all laughing, eating, you know, and of course, being Italians, all talking at the same time. And a lot of hand-waving going on too. <laughs> when you're young, you, you love those times, but you rarely appreciate the work that goes into them. You don't necessarily appreciate the effort that goes into the preparation for those things. It's only later on in life when you try to run those things yourself and do those things yourself do you realise all the work that goes into preparing those particular things. Now, they're not things that are just done in the morning. There are, there are things that take days to prepare and to organise and those sorts of things and homes to be swept clean and all, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so when you... When you're young, you don't necessarily appreciate what you've got. It's later on in life you appreciate the work that goes into it. And a loving home is truly a beautiful thing. If you have a loving home, if you, if you have a family that loves you and you have good times together with them, it's something precious, something you should never forget and never take for granted. To live in peace and love with your family is a beautiful thing and friends as well especially those special occasions when you get together and much preparation is made and there are two aspects that i'd like to look at today regarding this passage we've read and how it relates to this and i'd like us to examine these two things with respect to our own hearts um, which is a continuation, as I've said, of a couple of weeks ago, the sermon about the heart. And those two things are, one, that we would appreciate what we have, okay? That you would first appreciate who you have in your life, who you have, um, the home that you have, and two, to appreciate and understand the preparation that goes into a loving home the preparation that goes into those special times that you have together with your loved ones um, is not something that just happens. Um, we celebrated a, a wedding recently and any marriage, for those of you who are married, understand that to have a good marriage takes work. It takes effort because two people don't often see the same exactly the same way and so there's often, there's this, there's this dance that takes place, okay, where, you're, where you need to compromise, you need to discuss things, you need to help see the other person, see it from your eyes, and you're trying to see it through their eyes. And so love is a difficult thing to do, but it's a very important thing to do. 
And so preparation is an important part of this aspect that I'm going to be talking about with respect to our own hearts. Because as you're probably aware, I'm not just talking about our earthly families when I'm saying appreciate who you have in your life and prepare to put the effort into that relationship. I'm talking about the relationship we have with God and Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Because the same way we live with people in our homes is something we need to understand that God has chosen to make his home within us. So within our own hearts, there's a home and God lives there and God has chosen to set up residence within us. And so if we don't appreciate that relationship, that home, that family, then we'll take it for granted and that relationship will not develop properly. And the other thing is, apart from appreciating, is to put the effort into that relationship because if you don't put the effort in, If you don't, as the Bible says here, prepare your heart, then you're taking him for granted. And that's not a good thing either. I just want to recap quickly what I spoke about two weeks ago. And it came from Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And the two verses I I particularly used well, the two passages that I used were Romans 10, 9 and 10, and then Proverbs 4.23. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And that is the confidence we have in God and the salvation that we have received as a gift. Salvation comes from believing Jesus in your heart. It can't just be an intellectual thing. It can't just be something that you've got in your head. You have to receive him in your heart. And if he doesn't enter into your heart, if he doesn't take up residence there, if he isn't in your heart, then you are not saved. That is the, unfortunately, the the way it is. Because Romans 10.10 then tells us, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the question I asked last time, is Jesus in, inside my heart or is he outside of my heart? He could be in my head. That doesn't mean he's taken up residence within my heart. He's not precious to me. And that was a question I asked all of us last time. The question of whether he's inside or outside your heart will determine whether you are saved or not. For you must believe with your heart in order to profess with your mouth that which is real. Not enough for Jesus to be sitting in your head as a some sort of a lofty ideal or some sort of philosophy or some sort of religion. You can't be saved by having him just in your head. You need him in your heart. And that means to treasure him for who he actually is. To appreciate him. To put him first in your life. You may love many things in your life, and going through your life. You may love many people in your life. But the question really is, for us who are born again, where is Jesus in my life? Where does he rank? How does he rank compared to everyone else in my life? If he's not first, the Bible simply tells us that he is not in the right place. 
So last time I asked, who comes first in your heart? What is that within your heart which is the most precious thing to you? And that's an important question that we have to answer for ourselves. I can't answer it for you. I can only answer it for myself. But it's an important question for us to ask ourselves. God knows the answer already. The question is whether we are truthful with ourselves about it. If Jesus is in your heart, then he is worthy of the most important place within your heart, that deepest heart, the room where that throne is. Jesus doesn't deserve to be put into a closet. He doesn't deserve to be put some in some back room somewhere where we don't control. That's not important. And so Proverbs says that if you have Jesus within your heart, if you have salvation, if you've been granted eternal life, Proverbs 4.23 tells us, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We looked at Adam and Eve as an example last time. Remember, Adam did a very terrible job of keeping the garden because part of keeping means to guard. It means to keep out certain things that aren't meant to be in there. And he allowed lies to enter into that garden. He didn't protect his wife from those lies. The Bible says that she was deceived. You know what the Bible says about him? He wasn't deceived. She was deceived, which means she was tricked, but he wasn't. And he failed in his duty to protect his wife. He knew better, but he went along with it. He kept his mouth shut when he should have opened it. So soon both of them found themselves outside of this wonderful home that God had made for them. They had a perfect garden. The whole world was not Eden, mind you. The whole world was not Eden. God had planted a specific garden just for them in a specific place. And he told them to tend that garden. They weren't called to tend to the entire world. No, they had a garden specifically made for them. Perfect in every way. It had every manner of fruit tree there that for them to eat. They had a perfect climate, perfect comfort, no fear of predators against them, no illnesses, no suffering. They were in pure innocence. They had as many pets as they liked because every animal was a pet. Whether it was a lion, whether it was a bear, none of them were dangerous. So every animal was a pet. There was no fear at all in that specific place. They lacked nothing and they lived in pure innocence. And it was most importantly, not just all those things that they had, but it was the place where God would come and walk with them. Walk with them. Just imagine that for a moment. God plants a garden. That's the home that he's made for you. Perfect in every way. You've got everything you need. You have nothing to fear. And he comes and walks with you in that garden. He would walk with them physically. And he would have fellowship with them. But unfortunately, they looked at all that stuff and they said, hmm, not that important. And they fell. And they broke God's one law 
that he'd given them, one command that he'd told them. At the same time, their eyes were opened to some knowledge they didn't have before. For the first time, they realised there were things that were good and there were things that were evil. You see, before they didn't know, they didn't understand. When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the first time they recognised there were some things that were good and some things that were bad. They didn't have that concept before. Can you, understand, can you imagine that? But all of a sudden, they realised, oh, there are things that are evil and there are things that are good. And they had just done evil. And now they realised that they were evil. And they hid themselves in bushes. And they tried to cover themselves up for their shame. And mankind has done evil ever since. Ever since. Hasn't stopped. Only escalated. Deep down in our subconscious, I suspect, that the, all the people of this world have a sense of hidden shame and guilt that they carry. In our collective consciousness, there is this belief, I am sure, that we mess things up. That we knew, that we know all too well that things originally were good. The things originally were perfect and we messed it up. But there's a problem. We may know that deep down. That's what the Bible tells us. But to admit it hurts our ego too much. It just hurts too much to admit that that we're the ones who mess things up and continue to mess things up. So we spend our lives, like Adam and Eve, trying to cover things up. We cover up our whole lives. We cover things up. Putting on a good face, pretending that everything's fine, pretending that we are good and trying to convince ourselves of that. But deep down, we all know that we have this self-destructive bent towards sin, rebellion, hostility. But we struggle to accept that we're responsible. So we deny the truth. We blame others for our wrongdoing. And that's true for Christians too. That they often fail to accept the responsibilities for their own decisions, but they try to blame other people for their own problems and we fight and we struggle and deep down we blame God for the evil that we see around us and even within ourselves and because we refuse to accept wrongdoing but because we're too proud and arrogant to actually admit it we've tried to recreate Eden for ourselves ever wondered why world go, the world goes through so many revolutions and so many uh, things have been put into place to try to recreate utopia in this world? It's because we're trying to recreate Eden. Because we don't want to admit that we ruined it and we got kicked out of it. So we're trying to create it. 
And over the millennia, we have tried and failed and tried and failed over and over again. Think of all the great revolutions that have occurred throughout history. Not only have they all been failures, but the graves of millions of people attest to the atrocities and wickedness that are buried so deep within us. Now, when the... um, when communism started and they thought that they were going to create a utopia by making everyone exactly the same and the government was going to take care of everything for you, they managed to kill millions of people in the process. They created a utopia in Russia by killing about 60 million people. How's that for a utopia? And the same thing happened in China. And the same things happened over and over again, regardless of what system that you want to put in there, even democracies and, and, uh, and monarchies and whatever else it is, none of them work because deep down, man is evil. And he, as much as he tries to recreate Eden in his own image, he fails time and time again. And so we have nation fighting against nation, neighbor against neighbor, family against fa- uh, family. And we do that as if someone else is to blame for the whole thing. We tell ourselves over and over again, you know, if only those people didn't ruin it for us. If only people did it my way. You see, I know which is the right way to do it. If they did it this particular way, it would work. And so you have political parties that are continually fighting against each other saying, I know the best way, vote for me. The other one says, I know the best way, vote for me. Which one's got it right? None of them have got it right. None of them. Because deep down, they're all trying to to use a broken system, a man-made system to create heaven on earth, and it doesn't work. And so man tries to convince themselves over and over again, oh, we're we're good, aren't we? We're good. In fact, every religion in the world will tell you that you're good deep down. That's an outright lie. Outright lie. Because that's what you want to hear. That's what you want to believe. And we're going to try and prove it too. And so we'll try and prove how good we are through our politics, through our medicine, our science, our philosophy, our education... And every time man tries some new system to to show us how wonderful we are and how far we can progress, it only seeks to show us how actually evil we are. Here we are in 2023. Coming up to 2023, we've we've only got about a couple of weeks to go. And things in this world haven't looked this fragile for a long time, have they? We are back... On the, on the cusp of war, even. All it takes is a little match. A little match in the right place, and that bomb goes off, and then here we are again, back to the same place. But we're so advanced, though. We're so advanced. We drive Tesla cars. <laughs> we have Apple iPhones. You know, we have, so much, we have so much advancement. What's going on? It must be those people over there. It's their fault. It's always their fault, isn't it? Why all this suffering and evil? 
because the devil made us a promise a long time ago. He promised us that if we ate the fruit, that we'd become gods. And he wasn't lying. Because we did. The only thing he didn't tell us, that he failed to tell us, is where would we where we would be gods in here in our own hearts we would be gods and we've carried this this thing around with us from the very beginning we discovered good and evil all right but we don't know what to do with it because we can't do good we know what's good because we have a conscience now which Adam and Eve didn't have mind you we have a conscience that tells us this is good and this is bad and yet the thing that we know to be good we can't do it but the more we try the more we have to convince ourselves that we can and we keep pushing God away saying no we can do this ourselves we don't need you just hang back for a while we know how we got this we know how to fix things up it's because we have deep down within our own hearts a god a little god that lives there in our own image you see when god made us he made us in his image and we managed to return the favor we made him in our image and so when we fell we became our own gods and so we spend because these gods are very fragile not the Greek gods and the Roman gods, they're very fragile beings. We spend our entire lives trying to protect the God sitting on the throne here. Because we don't want that ego broken. We don't want that God looking bad because that God's got to look good. And so we spend our lives covering up. We spend our lives protecting these fragile gods and we try to reinforce how wonderful they actually are because we're trying to reinforce ourselves as gods and we look for these gods within each other we try to convince ourselves that yes we are gods we are how many times have people told you you can be whatever you want to be that is an outright lie they all know it you can be whatever you want to be what does that mean if I'm short, I'm not going to be a, a, a superstar basketball player, am I? It's just nonsense. But, the, but all of the philosophy that we hear in this world today is telling you how wonderful you are inside, how wonderful your potential is. And only if you knew your potential as a person, if you only realised that you can be anything you want, there is nothing holding you back. Oh, yes, there is. There's you holding you back because you aren't God. And we look for gods within each other. And if you look at, you know, the first thing that Cain did when he killed his brother and he, got, and he was cursed by God, what did, he, what did he go and do? What does it say? He went and built a city. He built a city. Now, who builds a city? He went and founded a city. Why? So he could be God. 
Lamech did the same thing even, even better. Pharaoh in Egypt, they thought themselves as gods. The Caesars of Rome thought themselves as gods. Nimrod, who built a tower to heaven, thought himself to be a god. Why is it that so many people think themselves to be gods and so many people look to those people to be gods? Because the whole time we are trying to convince ourselves that we actually are gods. And so man plays the the game over and over again. And in our, our cultured society that we have here, we don't have people calling themselves gods, but everyone thinks themselves to be gods. And so what we do, because we're looking for gods, we idolize people as well. So if someone's, a, if someone's good at sports, we make an idol of that person. Someone who can sing, we make an idol of that person. Someone who is beautiful, we make another idol of that person. And so we idolize people. What do we idolize people for? Because we're looking for gods. Within ourselves and within each other. And we are making gods in our own image. And finally, you know what this is all heading to? We are going to find that guy who is God among us. And you know who that person is going to be? The Antichrist. He is going to be the one. And the world is going to say, see, there is God within us. And he's going to convince the world that we are all gods, but we should all worship him. And the world is going to say, look, we can bow down to that guy. See, he's, he's God among us. You see, he's going to be the devil among us. So we've been trying to convince ourselves for a long, long time that we are good. And you're going to hear every philosophy in this world telling you that you are good. Except for the Bible. And they're going to point to the Bible and they're going to say, that's an evil book. Because it's not telling you that you are good and that you are God. And that's the message that I have for us today. Who is on the throne of your heart? Is it Christ? Is it God? Or is it still ourselves? Truth of the matter is that we often use God as a scapegoat for all of our ills. When things don't go right, we look to God to blame because he's in control, right? The truth of the matter is that God made us a beautiful home to live together in perfect love and we went and broke that house we went and we broke the rules of the house we wrecked it completely and we're still wrecking it and each other and we refuse to let god back in again he kicked us out of his house you're not coming into mine that's for sure look at the christmas story god sends his only son into the world after promising us a saviour from the beginning of our fall to save us from our own sin. He chooses the people to write all the prophecies that will come. And so we knew where he was going to be born, the circumstance he was going to be born in, the lineage he was going to be born in, and all the stuff and all the signs that were going to follow 
he's coming. And did we, did we uh, pick that one? No. God sends his son into the world to rescue the world from our own sin and evil. And who was waiting for him? Where was he born? In a stable. Not even a room for the king who had arrived. We weren't ready for him. There wasn't room for, an, for him to be born. There wasn't a place for him to stay at the inn. There was no room for him at all. So much so that the king of that particular time thought it would be a good idea to make sure we kill him when he arrives. And nothing's changed, has it? Yet here is God who has never stopped loving us but says that in order for us to have that relationship mended, to have that relationship restored, we need to first agree with his assessment of us, with his assessment that we are sinners by nature, that we are fallen, that we have become our own gods and we need to now reject that idea that we are good and that we can earn our way to heaven or whatever else we may have in our minds and we are called to repent and to accept him and to believe and understand what he's telling us and the next thing is that that we believe the need to be saved and only jesus christ can save us we can't save ourselves only then can we begin to live together again and walk together again it's a beautiful hymn that we sing and he walks with me and he talks with me God wants us to live forever, but he couldn't allow us to live forever in a fallen state. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Because if God had allowed us to live in the Garden of Eden, we would never have been reconciled to him. Genesis 3.24. And I want you to ask yourself, as b- before you read this verse, I want you to ask yourself, what are the angels guarding? Okay? What is it they're trying to stop Adam and Eve getting to? So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. That was it. He wasn't going to let us get back to the tree of life. Have you thought of that particular moment? When God is in the garden, he drives them out and he says, get out. You have to get out now. And he's there in the garden, standing in the garden alone. Whereas before he was there with his family, with the two that that he had created in his own image. After he's driven out Adam and Eve, he couldn't allow them back in. And you may wonder, why did he drive them out? Why did he kick them out of the garden and and then stop them from getting back to the tree of life? Well, imagine if he did. Imagine if he allowed that. And the first child born became a murderer. 
and he had, had access to that tree of life so he could live forever. Imagine that for a moment. Just the, the consequences of that. Eden would have become a place of chaos and death. God's house that he created for us would have become a place of chaos and death. And after murdering his brother, if Cain had access to the tree of life and and men began to multiply on the face of the earth, what do you think would have happened to the tree of life? Who would have had control over it? The good guys or the bad guys? How long would it have taken Cain and his descendants to say, put a barrier, a wall around the tree of life so only they could have it? How long would it take? You see, people fight over oil these days, don't they? People fight over all types of resources these days. Can you imagine if you had a tree of life that gave you eternal life and you wouldn't die? Who would be in control of that? How long would it take them to stop access for other people to get to it so they could be killed off as well? Who would be left in the world? So imagine the Lord in that garden for a moment. After the two beings that he made and he loved, two innocent children that he had were no longer innocent. And he had to drive them out from their home to now experience suffering and death but also to look forward into the future and see all them multiplying and all the sin multiplying in the world can you imagine his heart i can't imagine if i was a parent and you see your two children go completely wayward and then you're able to see all of the suffering and death that would come as a result of what they'd done I can't imagine how God's heart was not completely broken at that stage because he could see forward to today and all the suffering and death that's happened and how much we still do it. But he couldn't allow us to live in that state forever because we literally broke everything and we still won't admit to it. God had to allow us to die Because if he didn't, there wouldn't be a pathway back to him because through death, God has made a way for us to be saved. And that's the reason why Jesus had to die on a tree. On a tree. He had to be hung up on a tree because he then became the tree of life for us. Turn to Revelation chapter 2 verse 7 with me. Because one day, we will get to eat from that tree again, the Bible tells us. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Tells us that God is actually preparing for us to be home again soon, okay? Revelation 2, 7 says, He that hath... An ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Looking forward to getting back home. 
A lot of people are looking forward to getting back home now during Christmas. I know that. They're dying to get back with their families. Are you looking forward to getting back home? To being together with God? To being in that garden together with him? To enjoying that fellowship perfectly, one with another? No mess-ups, no sin, no suffering, no illness, no fighting, no struggling, no death. I'm looking forward to it. And that's what God promises us in his word. That one day we will all, if we have received Christ as our saviour, we will all be together there. Revelation 21, 3 says and i heard a great voice out of heaven saying behold the tabernacle of god is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and god himself shall be with them and be their god that's a glorious day for us to look forward to it's a beautiful day but what happens until then now we've got to live in this world don't we okay until that wonderful day we need to firstly recognize and appreciate that God has made his home within us, within our own hearts. And the question is, what type of home are you keeping for him? You know, when someone comes at visits to your home and wants to stay over, do you not make sure your house is clean? Do you not make sure that you have clean sheets on the bed? then that's the question I have about you and the God that is living within you. What type of home are you making there? God has made his home inside of us. And we should have that anticipation and that hope that one day we'll be together with him face to face. But if Jesus is in your heart, then God has planted a garden there. He has planted Eden within your heart. He has planted the tree of life, which is Christ, his own son, in your heart. And the question really is, what type of home are you keeping? Because how you keep your heart, what you do with your heart, really tells you a lot about what you think about the one who's living in there, doesn't it? We are at the moment in these lives like mobile homes camper vans caravans my wife wants to buy a caravan i don't want to buy a caravan <laughs> she wants to go traveling with a caravan maybe one day miria <clears throat> but at the moment we are like caravans and god is living in the caravan and we are taking him around everywhere where we go there is not one place that we go where he is not there because he is perpetually inside us, looking within us, looking outside. You are carrying a passenger today. And if you don't recognize who the passenger is and you actually revere him and honor him with your own life, then, then sadly, we've missed the point here. And we're not appreciating what we actually have. You see, 
we are these mobile caravans that God has taken up residence in all different shapes and sizes. And we carry Jesus around with us everywhere we go. And one day, all these camper vans and caravans and trailers are all going to make their way to a particular campsite. Like all the pensioners that go out during the... Um, on the Melbourne highways and freeways, you know, when the holidays start and they're all, you see all these people all travelling out of Melbourne, you know, with those things. Well, one day that's going to happen with us. And we call that the rapture. And all these mobile homes are all going to go head off in, in one direction. And we're all going to meet together in one place and be together in one place in this wonderful caravan park God is making for us, which much much better facilities than what's uh, what's around at the moment. So I want to just I'll just close with a, a couple of points. I'm not going to be able to get through this whole message today, but I want to I want you to understand how important it is to appreciate who you have in your life, and if you're saved today, how precious He should be. And that if you have a home within your heart, if this is true what I'm telling you, then what room is he living in in your life? What room have you set him up in? Is he in the most important room in your home? Is he in the deepest part? Do you give him the honour and respect and the worship that he deserves being within your life? In order to keep your heart you must first recognize and appreciate who you have and now who you are. And who's living inside you and what he deserves. Only then will you properly revere him and reverence him with your life. Which is why I wanted to share this story with King David, which I won't get into today. I won't, I won't have a chance to. But that's why I wanted to share the story of King David. And the building of the temple. You see, David wanted to build a temple for God. And God said, sorry, David. And he was pretty keen. He said, no, you won't be able to. I don't want you building a home for me. Your son is going to build a home for me. He's going to build a temple for me. Your son, Solomon. But you know what that didn't stop David from doing? It didn't stop him from preparing that whole chapter is about what he did to prepare for that building even though he didn't do any building he spent all his time preparing so that one day his son could like my grandma preparing for our christmas dinner spending all that time preparing all that food because her heart was in it for her family david had this amazing heart for god and if you just let's read these first three verses, I want you to see David's heart for God and the home he wanted to prepare for him. Because this is what I want, I want to leave you with today. In 1 Chronicles 29, 1-3, it says, Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God and the gold 
for the things to be made of gold and the silver, for things of silver and the brass, for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, the wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of diverse colours and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, and I love this phrase, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the Holy. Did you get a glimpse of David's heart here? For the house for God. He puts all his might into it. He sets his affection on it. He knows that's the place where God's presence is going to be. Now, what about us? Do you not know that God's presence is living within your heart? If you are born again today, if you are saved here this morning, then you are declaring to everyone else that Jesus lives within your heart. Now, do you have that same affection for that house that he lives in? Are you doing everything in your might to prepare that home and make it as beautiful as you possibly can? Have you put the preparation in? Because the amount of preparation you put in will determine and tell you exactly what you think of this God who lives inside you. No preparation? Well, you don't think very much of him. How much effort are you putting in for the home that God is living in now? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.19, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. I'm going to leave us with that thought today. Next week or next time, we are going to look at the preparation that David specifically put in before the temple started being built and the important things that we can do in our own lives to prepare and to make an effort to make sure that this house is suitable for the one who's living there. If there's a king living in your heart, then prepare that house for the king. God bless you. Thank you.